0: Hey there, welcome to Components. I'm your host, Patrick Posick. This is the single topic podcast that discusses modern content strategy using structured and componentized content. Just like component content, each episode is short and about one thing. All right, let's get to it. Hey, Tim
1: here. This week, Patrick, Jared and I are talking about content reuse and why it's so special. I've been in reuse mode for like a while now, since Patrick and I have been working on a couple pieces. But those couple pieces made me realize how simple it can be, but how complicated it can get. So let's start with the Twitter version of content reuse. How would you explain
0: it to someone who's clueless? Um, So before we like dive super deeply into that, didn't we do this last time? Or am I just crazy? We did not do this last time. The content personalization. We didn't do this last time? We did did, did personalization.
1: Obviously Patrick didn't take last one's very personally nicely done jared yeah thanks thanks starting off the day strong you are a a gentleman and a scholar
0: of reuse i'm something i'm something <laughs> <laughs> okay so i guess what i would say about reuse in as short an amount of time as possible okay so reuse is the ability to take one piece of content and use it in another location or for another purpose And importantly, in this context, um, in the structured authoring context, it's
1: not copy and pasting type of using that content somewhere else. It's using the literal
0: same piece of content somewhere else. But it's also important to note that that content that you reuse, and this goes back to what we were talking about in one of the previous recordings, can change due to personalization techniques when it's reused. Yep. So like personalization and reuse are really... You know, kind of yin and yang, like they're like two sides of the same coin, like they 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 rely on each other. They're birds of a feather. Are they birds of a feather? I guess I can't really answer that. I think they are. What are? I think birds of a feather just mean that you're you're kind of similar, right? And in which case, I would say that in this case, they are not birds of a feather. They are uh, they are more like two sides of the same coin. You're, okay, are you talking about more of like a split personality disorder?
1: That's what reuse content is for uh, personalization.
0: No personal. You need personalization to do reuse at scale. What I mean, down to.
1: okay, okay. I still think we've, you're getting bordering on psychosis here.
0: So the thing is that if if you don't have the ability to 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 do personalization, which is the which is really broadly speaking the ability to modify content um, at the point of it, it being delivered, um, you know, be that by filtering or um, changing variables or doing something else. When you're printing a pdf or by actually modifying it as the page is being loaded or as the chatbot is 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 sending the response you can't really do reuse because the thing that you find is that when you go to reuse pieces of content like nouns get in the way or like this sentence doesn't work perfectly over in this other case right like you've got like 10 products and they all have basically the same install process but you can't use an ambiguous term for all of them. You have to call them by their name, and you know maybe one or two steps is different in you know the different variations of that product. So you know the, what you're doing there is you're personalizing that content to the person who's purchased that particular piece of that particular product, right? So that's why reuse and personalization are so tightly coupled, because you wouldn't be able to reuse that process of ins- of installing or setting up or whatever it might be. In all 10 cases, if you couldn't personalize that process to each of those cases a little bit, Um, there's very few, very few reuse cases are really true 100% like word for word exact copy reuse. It's much more common that you have um, chunks of content, which are. 95% 95% reuse, and then there's a little bit of modification. And that modification comes through personalization mechanisms.
1: Yeah, I think the cases, I think you're right that there are few, very few cases of pure reuse, um, like legal notices in, in, at the end of documentation or something that you attack on like that. That's a pretty good, pretty good example of something that might remain the same. But those are very, very small. And when you take somebody's entire corpus of content, the things that you're reusing, just word for word like that, they're very, they're very, very few.
0: Yeah, and that's and so that that's really getting into like the long form version of reuse, which I think is a is is an important part of reuse. It's probably the the default case, and I agree with you that when you're looking at the more long form version of reuse, like you know boilerplate stuff, like true boilerplate stuff, mm-hmm. is the low hanging fruit, but it's also not the interesting stuff. It's hard to make a business case around implementing component content just to reuse boilerplate content like it's yeah i mean in some cases it it actually is there um you know if you're producing enough content and that content that boilerplate is shared well enough but it's not interesting right and you're not going to get a lot of people like really interested in that case um but where reuse becomes much more interesting is when you're getting up into the you know 40 50 80% 80% overlap, and, and in that case, you have to have, you know, the kind of the the last mile modification that personalization is um, to get to that point. Um, but I think that one of the things that I think is really interesting here that is worth calling out is we're this conversation as we're having it right now is still a little bit from the traditional perspective of like long form, like PDF, right? So you're reusing 80% of the content from this user manual in this user manual, but that's not the only kind of reuse. So the, there's a, the application for reuse has really exploded in the last, I don't know, call it 10 years. Um, but even more so recently, because now we have reuse across different mediums and channels and, um, reassembly capabilities too. So like you'll be seeing content being deployed, um, to the same channel, but as in different, um, in different orders, or different assemblies, or different um, purposes. So, um, one of our, um, our favorite people there, um, Nas, gave a presentation on this a while back that I thought was really good, where he was showing uh, two different articles written by a financial institution. And there was a section in both of them that talked about uh, a very specific thing in personal finance. And one was about travel for young people and one was about, I think something related to like managing credit card debt, but they both had this section that talked about the same thing. that was personal finance. And in this case, it, you know, it was reusable. So there's all these places where you can take these snips of content and like, it was completely relevant to both articles. So in the future, when it updates, it'll be changed in both articles. They didn't have to rewrite it. There was no inconsistency. Um, and you now have analytics between like where you're talking about those different things. So like there's, there's reuse capabilities far beyond the very traditional tech pubs. Like, you know, let's reuse this procedure.
1: I think, I think one area that is to this point under leveraged for this type of reuse is learning content, learning and training content. I mean, especially if you think about something like, um, building up a, a library of exam questions. Or just assessments in general. I mean, you could write these; they can be general, um, general enough that they they're reusable, but specific enough for, for particular instances of exams. Um, and then you can have a you know this entire library of these things, and you can continue to use them at this question level. And you could even you could even personalize those questions easily enough. Um, but learning and training, I think, offers a, a place where. Reuse has it's always been kind of floating around there, but it hasn't fully, fully been implemented. I think some people are really starting to do this. And I think some of the technologies, just in the short time that I've been, um, you know, in this space, I've seen improvements in technologies to be able to handle that that type of a case.
0: I think the 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 test question aspect of like exams is interesting. But the thing that I've actually found to be more interesting when it comes to reuse as it relates to, you know, I I think, you know learning content using that term super broadly is the ability to take content which is reference oriented so things that would go on like a documentation site and have it be delivered as a part of um, onboarding or training content and you know traditionally speaking these are two very um, different parts of an organization you have people who do onboarding and training and those kinds of activities and they're kind of proactive sometimes they're a profit center Um, And then you have people who do reference content and that's your user manuals and install guides and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is the content's basically the same or in some cases, it should be exactly the same. And the more the same it is, the more consistent it is and the the easier it is for people to actually um, access that content because if the procedure that you go through to learn how to do something is the same one that you find when you go to reference it, when you've forgotten one of the steps in the future, you're gonna be able to pick it back up more easily. Yeah. So it's actually better that those things are the same and that they're they're single sourced and they're reused in both places.
1: Well and that so that brings up the obvious question of writing for this stuff. You know, one thing that I've I've heard and had to adapt to slightly is when you're in an organization that has multiple writers, sometimes many writers, Sometimes with learning and training, or learning types, um, very broadly speaking, learning types of content, and then you know traditional tech pubs where it's this how-to and, and reference stuff. Um, there's been this conflict between groups on how we should write this and the type, the tone of voice we have, the way we deliver it, and these things. Are, you know, I think that the the tech pub side is starting to loosen up a bit in the way they describe things and take a little more liberties. To, to be um, a little more, I don't want to use the word personal, but um, less formal, slightly less formal. And the learning side is, I think it's had a little more of that because they know that they're engaging with people and they need to maintain, they're trying to teach, they're trying to educate. And I think the tech pub side is starting to go, we're educators as well. And so the, the actual writing and the language usage and the tone of voice, all of the things that go into crafting a good piece of content are starting to come together enough in people's minds that they can write for both of those cases.
0: Yeah, I think that when you're, where you're seeing hybrid departments, which are, you know, information um, development departments, and they can be badged. It's, it's not uncommon to see them badged more as learning and development than technical publications. Um, just because there tends to be a higher value used with those titles. Um, but they, in in actuality, they end up covering technical publications as well. Um, but where I think you see those, I think that's where you see the most effective implementations, the most effective, um, groups as it relates to, uh, customer satisfaction, um, customer experience, um, overall organizational efficacy, um, because these things impact everything. Like they really do. They it, the work that is done in the information development department, um, when it's done well, is one of the most you know fundamentally game changing parts of the organization. So, you know, the ability to use content um, in an agile way in all places that it needs to be. one it relies it it absolutely relies on structured componentized content like you just literally can't do it any any other way um so like there's that um but with that out of the way it's it's also it's a competitive advantage that is very quiet but it is one that if you were to try to go and take it away from organizations that have fully realized it like you, you, I mean, you just couldn't because like their or their company starts to starts to operate on this thing. It starts to become part of the DNA of the organization. And I think the most exciting thing that I've seen in my career doing this is the companies that have really gone all the way, and it really has become part of their DNA. And it's becomes this like massive, continuous impact on um, both the internal organization and their customers, even if people don't fully recognize that that's what's going on. Oh, mm-hmm. oh,